Today on Not Sam Wrestling, where is Will Ospreay going? Speaking of where are they going this week in CM Punk and after Crown Jewel, what inning are we actually in with Roman Reigns? This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host, from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Well, hey everybody, how are we? Hope everybody's doing great, happy November. Ah, yes. Moving right along with the fall, daylight savings, depending on where you are in the world right now, here in New York. Got ourselves an extra hour. Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling, and what a week, what a weekend, what a time, you know, we come to you every week feeling like it's a time, because it usually is quite a time, and of course, I think today, we dominate the conversation with a lot of fallout from Crown Jewel, and a lot of the fallout for me was that maybe there's not that much fallout from crown jewel i mean a little bit certainly especially in the women's division i would say big fallout in the women's division but beyond that i would say that from pre-show to main event there wasn't anything that was outrageously surprising on crown jewel i wouldn't say there was anything that was bad right i didn't watch any of the matches and go oh that wasn't very good or that was a waste of time. You could say what you want about the Miz TV segment, but you have to understand why it might have been on the show. I, I, you know, I just felt like I felt like a lot of it matched up with what we said would probably happen here on the show. Now, I had some very outlandish ideas going into Crown Jewel. One of them was that to really, really do two things: amplify the fact that L.A. Knight actually has a shot and to just put ourselves in this existence where everything is different coming out of Crown Jewel, I was advocating for every title changing hands except for Roman's WWE Undisputed Universal Championship. Now, once we opened with Seth Rollins and Drew McIntyre, that became a little bit unrealistic because in my scenario, Damian Priest would have cashed in getting the title and the idea that he would then face Cody Rhodes on the same show after he's cashed in didn't make a lot of sense. So it didn't come to be, but let's talk about the main event. Let's talk about what is a big deal. Roman Reigns' first match since SummerSlam. Roman Reigns versus LA Knight. And this, to me, is the culmination. You follow that story that LA Knight has been, not just has told, L.A. Knight himself is the story. Starting uh, as as this guy that everybody thought just had a world of potential. Why won't they pull the trigger? This is the guy, this is the guy. Then they start to pull the trigger a little bit. He meets them on every turn. Every time they give him an inch, not only does he take that, but he continues to take. I mean, we're into November, in January, it was LA Knight and The Fiend at the Royal Rumble in the Mountain Dew Code Black match. And really, let's be honest, in January, LA Knight was just being used as a reliable 
kind of heel that I'm sorry, not the fiend, Bray Wyatt, uh, the, the newer version of Bray Wyatt, the Uncle Howdy version of Bray Wyatt. But really, that was L.A. Knight's role to just be a villain that Bray Wyatt could easily dispose of to begin the tale that Bray Wyatt was getting ready to tell us. And here we are approaching the end of 2023, and L.A. Knight is main event in Crown Jewel with Roman Reigns. Um, they were talking about Roman's uh, reign, as it were, as he uh, came to the ring, talking about the champions that had had the title, even in the ballpark of the amount of time that he's held the Universal Championship. And, you know, I think it's two Bruno San Martino runs and a Hogan run that's all that's in front of Roman Reigns right now. I think the Bruno San Martino shorter run is something that Roman Reigns is within a stone's throw of. Roman Reigns is definitely going to enter the top three, even without, if you're giving Bruno two spots on the list, which you should, I do think, if if I heard right from Michael Cole, I do think that it's somewhere around 1,200 days for Bruno San Martino. And Roman's not that far from that. The question is, is Roman going to beat Hogan's record? Hogan's record of over three years, uh, that would expire uh, September 2024, which means that basically, I mean, based on Roman's schedule, Roman would have to hold the title from now and then win at SummerSlam. If Roman won at SummerSlam, then odds are, He's definitely beating Hulk Hogan's record. Now, I don't think he's ever going to be the number one guy because Bruno held the title significant. I mean, you know, he would have to just go on forever at that point to beat Bruno's first record. But look, he could beat the Hogan record. Um, it's possible. It's possible. It's also very po Look, there's a few things that are possible here. I don't think it's terribly feasible that Roman Reigns is going to lose the title before WrestleMania. So there's three things that could happen in my mind. Roman loses the title at WrestleMania 40. Roman beats Hogan's record by holding it until September. Or, and what I'm kind of like, maybe this is the way to go, is uh, this would be a risky thing. Because in order to get here, you do have to give Roman that victory at WrestleMania. But you could... If you're going to give him the victory at, at WrestleMania, have him hold the title to SummerSlam. Walk into SummerSlam specifically saying, if Roman wins this SummerSlam match, based on his contracted WWE championship matches, he will beat Hogan's record. Hulk Hogan, the icon of WWE. If Roman Reigns beats fill-in-the-blank at SummerSlam, Roman beats Hogan's record. And then Roman loses at SummerSlam. At some point, with all the records, somebody's got to not make one. We know the, the current regime in WWE loves records, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I love the idea that, that when you go over those lists of top champions, of, of best record holders, of whatever that you can put the current crop of superstars on that list, that you're not going like, well, the legends of yesterday 
were the best of the best. Like that when you talk about those Mount Rushmore conversations that inevitably end up in my email box for whatever reason, that you are incorporating people who are currently on television that sell tickets for you, that, that sell Peacock subscriptions for you, that sell T-shirts for you. You know, that that's, that's, a, that's a good thing business-wise. But um, I think getting specifically into what we saw at Crown Jewel uh, and the L.A. Night match, you know, I, I, I think people walked into this L.A. Night match going, there's less than 1% probability that LA Knight would win the title. There was at least a conversation, I think more than there was for Jey Uso, to tell you the truth, of people, like, going into SummerSlam, people didn't believe that Jey was going to win. But they did acknowledge that, for story purposes, it would make sense if Jey won, that the Jey dethroning Roman would be poetic. But they didn't think it was going to happen. At Crown Jewel... I think people still didn't really think it was going to happen, but I think they did have this feeling that even if it wasn't supposed to happen, what if it did? I think there was that was what the conversation became, but what if it did? There were a lot of people that I think loved the idea of how great would it be if? What if they just pulled the trigger on this new guy like we've never seen before? And we could go to WrestleMania, Cody's story, because that's the question that always comes up. If you're going to give somebody else the title, Cody is buried forever, right? Well, no, obviously not. But also, in terms of finishing the story, it's been made very, very clear in every version of the telling of this story, in the Cody doc, on Raw, on SmackDown, on premium live events. The story is not about Roman. The story is about the title that Roman is holding. So should somebody beat Roman for the title, Cody would just have to come out and say, Roman Reigns is not my concern anymore. My concern is that title because that title is the story. That title is why I'm here. That's, that title is why I left everything that I created from the ground up and came back home for that title to finish that story. So I think you still could have somebody beat Roman Reigns that's not Cody and have Cody finish the story. I also don't think that, you know, Cody, that's a victory that Cody needs immediately. Because you could theoretically tell this story of, of somebody else beating Roman Reigns and Cody beats them and then Roman comes back and Cody still has to beat Roman at some point. There are a million different ways you could do this. Realistically, I don't think any of that's going to happen. I think it'll be Roman and Cody at WrestleMania unless they get The Rock. And if they can get The Rock, I believe it'll be Roman and The Rock at WrestleMania. But that's all besides the point today as we talk about the feeling coming out of, of Crown Jewel. And the conversation about the interference finish is coming up more and more. And I think you hear about it more and more every time we see it get used. This is something that's been coming up for well over a year, that people are getting tired of Roman Reigns and the bloodline and the interference with every single match ending in interference. And there are pros and cons here, okay? The pros are that because of the interference and because Roman Reigns doesn't just crush everybody, people are stronger after working with Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns doesn't kill people. 
you can go through history, right? Once Hogan was done with somebody, like Sergeant Slaughter did not have another serious heel run in him. He had to, you know, turn babyface and and shift to a different position on the card. You could go through, I mean, most of Hogan's opponents. And it was like, it was time to transition onto something else. The earthquake came in as a big monster for Hogan to conquer. Once Hogan conquered him, push him down the card. Now he's, you know, in a tag team with Typhoon. Even The Undertaker. After The Undertaker had his Hogan match, it was, what, that was November by... The summer, by six within six months, Undertaker turned babyface because it was like, well, once you've been this villain and Hogan's conquered you, there's nothing else to do. You're gonna have to change things up. It's different with Roman, and and you can, and this isn't a specifically Hogan thing. You can go through the people John Cena did. I mean, when the Nexus came in, John Cena killed him because Super Cena ran him over. And what do you do after that? You could go over to WCW. And you could look at the fact that the stars that WCW built were built based on the fact that they would steamroll everybody. But nobody around them got any better. Like, nobody that faced Goldberg was more over after facing Goldberg. It was about, and that's okay sometimes, but it was about putting a spotlight on Goldberg. The problem is that once it comes time to move on past Goldberg, well, there's nobody behind him there's nobody that's been left there to fill that void for i personally think that one of the great problems creatively in the old wcw was that what brought them to heights that quite frankly nobody in professional wrestling had seen before was the nwo but in order for the nwo to do that they had to completely bury the entire company so once the nwo had run its course there was nothing there, right? Nothing. I mean, even Sting didn't have that triumphant moment without the completely messed up finish. So you were left with really nobody. After the NWO started to get cold, there was nothing right under it to grab it and take its place. It's not the same thing with the bloodline. That's why even when Roman was off television and the bloodline wasn't the focal point of television anymore after SummerSlam, WWE's business was through the roof because Jey Uso, even outside the bloodline, is bigger than, I mean, by a mile than he's ever been. But Sami Zayn, I mean, you could say, well, what, he's, he's never going to be as big as he was at WrestleMania. Look at where Sami Zayn was a year ago. That's what you have to do, or even more so, because a year ago, he was working with the Bloodline. But think about where Sami Zayn was at WrestleMania 38, right? Showing how great he was. Having one of the best performances of the night with Johnny Knoxville, but it wasn't like he was on a course to be a main event caliber character. And now I would argue that he is. I would argue that Cody Rhodes even though he lost to Roman Reigns, he lost with interference and hasn't missed a step. You could main event Cody Rhodes on any pay-per-view you wanted to today. Drew McIntyre. Drew McIntyre, a lot of damage was done to Drew McIntyre uh, after losing the title. But realistically, the fact that he lost the way he did to Roman Reigns is the foundation to his character now.
his character now is based on the fact that he didn't get his moment that he was promised because of the pandemic. And when he almost got it back, the bloodline interfered and he got screwed. And so you've got all this storytelling that you're able to do and, and you're able to build this roster based on the fact that those finishes are not clean squash finishes. On the other side of it, the negative side of it is that I think we're at the point where a lot of people feel like we've seen it. We know what's going to happen now. A lot of people came out of Crown Jewel going like, this is the same match we've seen. Like, we, we, what are we doing? LA Knight is, hasn't lost a step. That's a good thing. LA Knight coming out of Crown Jewel is still going to be able to be the giant hero, good guy, babyface character, which is great. But realistically, if Roman Reigns is only going to be wrestling, and I love Roman Reigns. I love Roman Reigns matches. I, If you listen to John Cena on the After the Bell podcast, he did an interview with Corey Graves. He said he thinks Roman Reigns is the GOAT. And I would say that John Cena has a lot to argue there. Roman Reigns is performing at a level that I don't even think we've caught up to yet. But all that said, coming out of SummerSlam, there were people who felt bloodline fatigue. He went away for three months. He comes back for a match with a guy who is now the hottest good guy in the company. The match feels exactly the same as the matches that he was doing before he left. And that fatigue has set back in. It's not enough, I don't think, to walk away for three months and then come back to to follow, you know, go by the playbook. You got to change the playbook. I think that that that's key. And I think that we're gonna get it, right? I think that that for me, I've been fine with the bloodline cooking. Let them cook has been my philosophy on the bloodline, especially coming off of WrestleMania. Because building up to WrestleMania, I mean, it's hard to think of a storyline that was that ever captured the imagination of the audience more so than the bloodline story had from Survivor Series until WrestleMania. I mean, unprecedented stuff. And so my thing was kind of let it cook, right? And even coming off of SummerSlam where people were like, I don't even understand what's going on anymore. You go, okay, well, let it cook, let it cook. Now, I feel like it's cooked long enough. I feel like now it's time to eat. Now it's time for the bloodline to serve us our dinner. I've been waiting patiently. Some people less patiently. But I'm ready to eat. You know? I think that 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 I, I overall the interference finishes have been a positive, but if you're trying to promote Roman Reigns matches as the super fights that they are, you've got to figure out a new story to tell. That's what it becomes, right? Because John Cena versus Roman Reigns, super fight. Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar, super fight. Roman Reigns versus Jey Uso, bloodline civil war. And sprinkled in between Roman Reigns going through the roster. But what you can't do in lieu of a super fight or the bloodline civil war is to go back to what you were doing originally. We can never feel like the bloodline story goes back. It has to always be moving forward. And I have every faith 
that that story is moving forward. I personally believe that you will be able to go back to this note because here's the thing. A lot of stuff we talk about on this podcast, I just, we got to get every wrestling fan listening to this podcast because I'm watching Crown Jewel, right? And now people are saying, oh, we should do LA Knight versus Logan Paul at WrestleMania. It was two weeks ago. We were talking about that two weeks ago on Not Sam Wrestling. I saw people going, I was surprised that John Cena lost to Solo Sokoa weeks ago. Not only did we say that would happen weeks ago, we told you that was going to be the match at Crown Jewel six weeks ago. A month and a half ago, we said that was going to happen. It was wild speculation, but always remember, it's not just wild speculation. It's a spoiler. And so what I truly believe is although fatigue, bloodline fatigue is setting in, and to deny that bloodline fatigue is setting in would be ignorant of what's going on around you. I firmly believe that we're going to start ramping up to the point where the bloodline is once again the hottest thing in wrestling going into WrestleMania. And the reason that I have that faith is because nobody's given me a reason not to have that faith. Because we've now gone through WrestleMania 37, 38, and 39 with the bloodline not disappointing in terms of building a story that gets your blood moving. WrestleMania 39, it was two of them. WrestleMania 39, the bloodline was so hot that they took care of night one and night two WrestleMania main events with different participants. Throughout the course of this story, we haven't seen them move backwards. I don't think they're gonna be moving backwards. I do think that people are unaware of how special the bloodline is, right? Okay, and 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 to and to speak about the innings, right? To speak about the innings before we get into how special the bloodline is. To speak about the innings. This is now and this is Paul Heyman's fault, his verbiage. Paul Heyman said at a press conference months ago that the bloodline is only in the third inning. They're only in the third inning. You guys don't even understand what we're doing. And I believe that. But there are some people who have interpreted that line as saying that that's how long Roman Reigns is going to be the champion for. He didn't say we're in the third inning of Roman Reigns' title run. He said we're in the third inning of this story. I think that the title run, if that's true, could very possibly be a part of this story. But I think the bloodline story continues on far beyond when Roman's title reign is up. I also think, you know, people are like, well, it says the third inning, but it's really the sixth inning. It's really the, Paul Heyman is always telling stories, whether he's quote in character or quote not in character. He's, we're, we're, we're doing business here, right? So what do you think Paul Heyman's gonna tell you? You think Paul Heyman? is going to, 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 to I mean, because the bloodline is very real to Paul Heyman. I've interacted with Paul Heyman way off camera, way off the record. And the interactions that that guy has with Roman Reigns and the bloodline are exactly what you would think they are and exactly as they are on camera. It's actually pretty wild to see it happen. 
So, you know, I, 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 I find it difficult to have that conversation. The inning conversation feels very like, what does this even mean? And furthermore, I think we all define innings differently when it comes to the bloodline story. Now, what I was saying before about the bloodline story being special, I was saying that because I feel like it has resulted in, across the industry, a shift to like longer form storytelling. I think we're seeing that in WWE and I think we're seeing that in AEW. And I think that we're forgetting that some stories are meant to be long-term and other stories are not. And when you are telling long-term stories, it's still really important that things happen every single week that you can't miss. The bloodline at its peak is telling stories that are long-term, but it's using short-term stories to tell a longer story. It's not trotting along, right? And I think that, that, that that's something that everybody has to keep in mind. You know, I think when, when you look at all the stuff that happened to Crown Jewel, at some point, it's like, just because Roman Reigns has been the champion for three years, not only does it not mean that everybody else should also have long title reigns, but I would argue that it means that most of the other people should not have long title reigns. I think that Gunther having a long title reign makes sense because he's Gunther. But beyond that, I almost feel like you should keep title reigns shorter to make it an even bigger deal that Roman has had this title reign. It would also keep things fresh around Roman so that maybe there wasn't so much. And that's one of the reasons why I thought all the titles should change at, at Crown Jewel. Now, I'm not for Rhea Ripley getting beat, but when you're in a five-person scenario, that's the one time that you could theoretically take the title off her and have her go hunting to get it back. But let's let's go over Crown Jewel. Let's talk about this show uh, first of all, I want to give a little bit of appreciation to Byron Saxton. Byron Saxton, who right under everybody's nose, feels like he's been in the WWE forever. But is there anything this guy can't do? This guy does it all. He's a commentator on, first of all, he was a wrestler. Turn on, I want to say season two of the NXT hybrid reality game show thing that they did. Remember like, Brian Danielson was in season, Daniel Bryan was in season one. It's where the whole nexus was built. Season two, I want to say Byron was on season two because he wasn't part of the original nexus. So I want to say he was on season two. Maybe it was season three. I don't know. But the guy's a wrestler, first and foremost, right? So he can wrestle. So he can take a stunner. We've seen him take a stunner. We saw him take a stunner during the pandemic. We saw him take a stunner at WrestleMania 38. The guy can do commentary. He's done full-time color commentary for years at a clip. The guy can do a backstage interview with me at this time. The guy can do these awesome segments. Remember the uh, Byron Saxton segment? I want to say with Johnny Gargano, uh, not that long ago. They only did like a one-off, but it was fantastic. And when it was like he was the host of 60 Minutes or whatever, it was so good. The guy can host these press conferences, right? These media scrums the WWE does now. And then you get to Crown Jewel, one of the big pay-per-views of the year, premium live events, as it were. And Byron Saxton is just sitting there as the ring announcer. These are all completely different skill sets. And Byron Saxton is just like, lucky for me, I got all of them. 
I'll just go ahead and be the ring announcer for every match on this show. It was incredible to watch. I thought he was amazing. Kudos, shout outs, congratulations to Byron Saxton. Uh, going over the card, look, we talked about Rhea Ripley a minute ago. She looked unbelievable. I mean, this Rhea Ripley is a star in that division, in the women's division. She's a Becky Lynch, Charlotte Flair level star. And I can't wait until the story can fully be told. When you got this athlete who comes over to the States, gets signed to NXT, figures out who she is, it, uh, you know, uh, kind, kind of starts to get metal, starts to get darker, starts to embrace that side of her personality, right? Brutality. She does great in NXT, comes to the main roster, can't find herself. That's going to be the best part of this story, that Rhea Ripley, in the beginning, whatever it was, and I have no idea what it was, she couldn't find herself, whether it was teaming with Nikki Cross, whether it was whatever, you could hear it in her promos, you could see it on her face, she hadn't figured out who she was yet. And then something happens on the way to forming the Judgment Day. And then this relationship with Dirty Dirty Dom starts. And Rhea Ripley kicks into gear. And once it clicks, and once she goes, oh, there I am, oh, found myself, she's just skyrocketed. And there's no end in sight. I mean, look, did we have to sit there for while 20 dudes came out one at a time? In hindsight, being 2020, maybe next time we bring guys out, you know, two, three at a time, just to speed it up a little bit. But once they were all out there and those green lights are shooting and then the purple lights come from, from beneath and Rhea Ripley enters that arena like she owns the place, walks into Riyadh, like she owns the place and she knows that not only is everybody there to see her, but she has complete control over this audience. It was amazing to see. Great match. Awesome that Rhea Ripley won. Just just really, really good. I thought that match was great. I thought the opener, as far as matches go, really, really good. Seth Rollins over Drew McIntyre. Seth Rollins is the world champion. That's one of those that I feel like we got to change something up. And that's not because of, I'm a giant Seth Rollins fan, giant Seth Rollins fan. But just in terms of the way the audience is reacting to the stories and everything, it's time to pull the trigger. You know, I think that you could listen to the fans in attendance. They were ready for Drew McIntyre to win. People were ready for Shinsuke Nakamura to beat Seth Rollins. I think if Seth Rollins were, if people are ready for the briefcase to be cashed in, I think if Seth Rollins loses that title and comes back to chase it, it's good for Seth. It gives him some definition in his character. It's also good for the title because right now the title was created out of thin air and then Seth Rollins won it and that's the story of the title. So that's the whole lineage. So if we can add something to it and, and, and add some stories to it, I think it would make it uh, a more prestigious title personally. Uh, it's a bad night for Damian Priest. First, he can't cash in because Sami Zayn uh, disrupts it, which I would imagine is going to lead us to uh, a lot of interplay between Sami Zayn and the Judgment Day and Damian Priest specifically. Um, and we'll talk about that uh, in a moment. But I think that uh, it is odd to me 
that you need to physically have the briefcase in order to cash it in. Like, we all know who won the match. We know who won the Money in the Bank briefcase. We've been calling the dude, send your money in the bank. We've seen him with this purple briefcase everywhere. You mean to tell me if he loses it? Like, I guess he would never check it. So it's not like it would get lost. But like, when Chris Jericho accidentally lost the AEW championship outside of a Tad Steakhouse or wherever he was, he was still the champion. I mean, just because he didn't physically have the belt because he left it somewhere didn't make him not the champion. I feel like Damian Priest should be able to go to the ring and go like, look, I don't have the briefcase on me, but you know I won. Like, and it's not, nobody has to sign this contract. There's a contract in the briefcase that says I get a title match whenever I want. We don't have to wait for the champion to sign the contract. So having the physical contract there is totally unnecessary. Although it would be great if that was a loophole that he does convince somebody to let him have the match. Or maybe this could be a future Money in the Bank winner. That he convinces somebody to let him have the match even though he doesn't have the briefcase on him. And then he loses that match. Except since he still has the briefcase, he still gets to cash it in. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the legalities are. I mean, Sami Zayn took the briefcase. Does that mean technically Sami Zayn is possession 10 tenths of the law in this case? I don't think it is. I feel like if you won the ladder match, regardless of what you're holding, you should get the title shot, but I don't know. I haven't read all the fine print. The contract's in the briefcase, and I don't have the briefcase. Damian Priest doesn't have the briefcase either. Sami Zayn, I believe, has the briefcase. Um, and then, yeah, Damian Priest losing to Cody Rhodes. That was obviously the right call. You can't have Cody Rhodes having big pay-per-view matches where it's a good guy versus a bad guy, and the bad guy beats Cody. Like, let's not get crazy here. Uh, but that was awesome. You know, top rope Cody Cutter was badass. Really, really fun. Really good stuff. Um, you know, I thought... Uh, 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 the, the women's championship match, that was probably the most uh, noteworthy. Uh, the WWE women's championship match was the most noteworthy of matches uh, only because of the return of Kyrie Sane. And already people are into this story, right? That And we know it's a story because Michael Cole mentioned it on commentary. He said the last time Kyrie Sane was here, Bailey took her out and thought she ended her WWE career, sent her packing. And as he's saying that, we have Kyrie in the ring with EO Sky embracing her. EO Sky thrilled to see her friend back in the WWE. And Bailey on the outside of the ring, looking helpless, unsure of what this means, unsure of her standing. But that means that in canon, Bailey knows that she did Kyrie dirty on Kyrie's way out. And now Kyrie is back. And this is, and EO is like, you know, at a for a few months back, we thought, you know, oh, maybe, maybe we're going to see the damage control uh, uh, dissolution, the breakup. But ever since, you know, summer, Bailey and EO have been best friends, and Bailey has been nothing but supportive of EO Sky. What if? Bailey always was supportive of EO Sky, but EO's loyalties lie with Kyrie. And who are we going to cheer for here, right? I just don't see, I don't see a world where Kyrie saying, looking as awesome as she was looking at that show, this version of Kyrie and EO Sky 
with Eos Guy doing those sick moonsaults and Kyrie doing the best elbow drop in the business, I don't see a world where that team gets booed. I think it's an impossibility. I think that you've, I don't know when Dakota Kai is healthy again, but I think you've got to do a scenario where Bailey kind of joins the two of them and then turns her back on EO uh, on 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 Kyrie and then EO decides to side, to side with Kyrie. So you keep Bailey and Dakota villains and make Kyrie and EO the heroes because other, I just don't I don't think you're going to get your cheers and boos where you want to get them, but who knows? Who knows where they'll go. Uh but I think it's awesome. I think it's really really great and I thought it was uh I thought it was really cool to see her back and the way that all went down. Uh, so you've got, a uh, a uh, couple of big matches here, right? So we talked about Roman Reigns versus LA Knight over on the other side of the bloodline equation. It was John Cena versus Solo Sokoa. Now, uh, the story of this match was really well told in really only a few weeks that John Cena has not had a singles win on television in five years. And that's true. The last time John Cena had a singles win was actually at the greatest Royal Rumble pay-per-view. It was in Saudi Arabia, and it was against Triple H. The last time John Cena won a singles match was against Triple H in, yeah, the 2018 uh, greatest Royal Rumble premium live event. Since then, uh, let's see, who have been the people that have beaten him? The Fiend beat him at, uh, or, you know, the Fiend Bray Wyatt beat him at WrestleMania, Roman Reigns beat him. Austin Theory beat him. And now Solo Sokoa has beaten him. Now, I was not surprised by this whatsoever. Again, in an effort, look at where we are on the calendar. We are not in a period of time where we're going to make Solo Sokoa look less than. As a matter of fact, he's going to get better and better. Now, there's another version, by the way. People go, well, I mean... With all the talent that is in flux, it is impossible to say who Cody's WrestleMania match will be with. Because you go, well, if Cody's not wrestling Roman Reigns at WrestleMania, who's he going to wrestle? I mean, it might not even be somebody who's in WWE right now. I'm not going to say Randy Orton's name because we don't fantasy book Randy Orton. But I I mean, you know, if that name's getting thrown around, if CM Punk's getting thrown around, if Will Ospreay's getting thrown around, we'll, we'll talk about all that. But... That's all to say there's another version of this where eventually we get the Bloodline four-way match, right? If we're going to do Roman versus Solo versus Jimmy versus Jay, number one, Jimmy's character would have to change somewhat because right now he's too weaselly and wanting to be on everybody's side to be an independent threat. But Solo is easily an independent threat. And by the way, I believe Paul Heyman sticks with Solo inevitably. Jay is already an independent threat. Roman independently has to defend his throne. And with a little bit of work, Jimmy becomes an independent threat too. So the idea of a bloodline fatal four-way match, I don't think is even close to out of the realm of possibility. Uh, and maybe that is something that you get going for the Rumble itself. And they're able to repair themselves after the Rumble leading into WrestleMania you know, but I mean, who knows? I mean, imagine Royal Rumble getting headlined by a bloodline four-way. That'd be sick. That'd be sick. Um, But I thought John Cena was great. And, and that's why I was not 
surprised. I thought the whole story was basically set up so that it could be the most impactful loss that John Cena could possibly have right now, and thus the most impactful victory that his opponent, Solo Sokoa, could get as we build Solo Sokoa, as we build up the bloodline on the way to WrestleMania. Um, I thought it was really well done. I thought uh, John Cena wrestling with a sense of urgency that he doesn't usually have was really, really cool. I thought John Cena going after that thumb was really, really cool. And then inevitably, Solo Sokoa dropping whatever it was, like 12 Samoan spikes across John Cena's throat was like awesome. So that was a lot of fun. Um, and then, uh, of course, one that I also was not surprised by, Logan Paul versus Rey Mysterio. The right thing was done between Logan Paul and Rey Mysterio. First of all, watching Logan Paul catch Rey Mysterio in midair and stop him from hitting his head on the mat was like this moment where you're like, man, I don't want to give this guy credit, but I think I'm going to have to give this guy credit. I think that we'll see more of Logan Paul in over the next six months than we have over the previous six months for sure. But regardless of that, Logan Paul is not an actor. Logan Paul is in the public eye as Logan Paul a lot. Logan Paul is one of the most successful podcasts there is. Logan Paul does these, you know, boxing fights and everything, but he always does it as Logan Paul. And every time you see Logan Paul, what does he have with him? He has a bottle of Prime. Logan Paul understands that as often as he has a camera in front of his face, that this can be used as a billboard to sell a product. So what does WWE do? They go, how do we get our billboard along with yours? I know. How about we give you this badass, super cool looking wrestling championship? And even if you're not going to be on Monday Night Raw, even if you're not going to be on SmackDown every single week, even if you're not going to be at every premium live event, what if when you're doing impulsive, the United States Championship is with you? You could put it on a desk next to you. Let's be honest. It's Logan Paul. He's probably going to have it on his shoulder half the time. You don't think if Logan Paul's got another super fight in him in the next three to six months that he wouldn't come to the ring with the United States Championship? Of course he would. He understands the, the I mean, more than anybody. He understands the showbiz of it all. He understands the, 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 making a making a to-do of what he's doing and having a giant red, white, and blue title on your shoulder is going to do it. Not only that, but you have this potential that we've been talking about forever of LA Knight being the guy to dethrone Logan Paul. And I love the idea even more now than I ever had because I was thinking a lot about LA Knight and what is the attraction that people have towards LA Knight. And you saw it and, and it's happening wherever you go. It happens in the States, happens in Saudi Arabia. It ha I mean, it's just, he is that character that goes beyond a language barrier. It's one of the reasons why professional wrestling is so popular outside of the United States, because the stories that are told in the ring have nothing to do with an individual language. Anybody can figure it out. I think wrestling fans love, Logan, uh, love LA Knight because LA Knight is a wrestler. Everything that, that people have said as a criticism against L.A. Knight, I think is actually some of his greatest assets. The fact that he feels like a wrestler, the fact that he looks like a wrestler, the fact that he wrestles like a wrestler, 
He's not reinventing the mold. He's just being a wrestler. Guess why we turn our TVs on? Guess why we buy tickets? Guess why we buy action figures? Guess why we wear t-shirts? Because we love wrestling and we love wrestlers. And there's a guy here that's acting more like a wrestler than anybody I've ever seen. How are you not gonna cheer him? Now on the flip side of that coin, you've got a guy like Logan Paul. Any fan you ask, all right, his promos are even better than I thought they would be. All right, his character as a villain is even better than I thought it would be. All right, his matches are so unbelievable. They're great. He's so much better in the ring than I thought he would be. Why don't you like Logan Paul then? Why do you boo him? Well, he's not a wrestler. Oh, Logan Paul, is he's something else. He's a YouTuber. He's a podcaster. He's a celebrity boxing guy. He's not a wrestler. Who is, so, so if you dislike Logan Paul because he's not a wrestler, that means that you like wrestlers. Of course I like wrestlers. Well, who's the most wrestlery wrestler you've ever seen? Everybody's saying L.A. Knight. Yeah. That's it. That's it. And that's why that match is so perfect. You've got a guy who we love everything about him except for the fact that he's not a wrestler. So we're going to boo him versus this guy that we're cheering because he's the most wrestlery wrestler that's ever wrestled. And we love wrestlers. LA Knight. Yeah. It's perfect. It, we've set things up perfectly with all this. Now, one of the big uh, uh, announcements uh, within Crown Jewel was, again, going forward, forward, forward. War Games is officially back. It was confirmed via commercial for Survivor Series during uh, Crown Jewel that we are getting War Games. The question is, one match or two matches, you know, uh, there uh, during the NXT run of War Games, we'd have a women's match and a men's match. Um, and you could theoretically do that, right? I mean, I'm already seeing seeds planted. Maybe there's some kind of war games where Bailey and Dakota are able to get together a group of villains versus EO and uh, uh, Kyrie and a group of baby faces. That's possible. I would definitely just do the one war games match. I think that the war games is a tough match to do. It's long, a lot of moving parts. A lot to keep people interested. And I think if you go back in time, specifically in the NWA WCW, there are some great War Games matches and there's some terrible War Games matches. The great War Games matches are the original War Games matches that Crockett put on. When Dusty and his team faced Flair and his team. Even going all the way up to 1992 when Sting and his team faced the Dangerous Alliance. But you had real stories going into it. When the stories got a little weaker and you were just doing war games for the sake of war games, if the reason you're doing war games is because of the spectacle of two rings wrapped in a cage, you're doing it wrong. Because that spectacle will get you interested for five minutes. War games is the match beyond. By the definition of the rules, if you're going five on five, you start with two and you've got at least... That's five minutes, seven, nine, 
12, 12, 11, 7, 9, 11, 13, 15. Like, it's 20, 25 minutes before that ring fills up with people. Then the match has to, like, officially begin. So you're talking about 45 minutes minimum to do this match. In order for that to happen, you need a compelling story. And I think that you're going to be able to pull that off with the men's war games match. I don't think as much as they've planted seeds that it's going to be raw versus SmackDown, right? With uh, uh, Nick Aldis versus Adam Pierce. Although, you know what Nick Aldis means? We finally have a British guy who can shout war games. I hope Nick Aldis has been, has been practicing that because we haven't been able to use William Regal on television. But Nick Aldis is a British guy who can yell the word war games. Make it count, Nick. We've been waiting for it. I think, you know, it is what most people think it's going to be. A combination of the bloodline and the judgment day versus the good guys. The good guys team, I would imagine, is uh, uh, Sammy, KO, Cody, Jay, and LA Knight versus Jimmy, Solo, Damian, uh, Finn, and I don't know, maybe any, and Dom. You'll probably have JD McDonough on the outside with uh, Rhea Ripley. That's probably your War Games match, I would guess. Uh, and within that War Games match, you've really got something because you've got Jay interacting with the Bloodline. You've got Cody interacting with Solo, who cost him the story and the world title. You've got Sammy and KO finally teaming again. You got Sammy coming face-to-face -face with the Judgment Day, which is obviously a story that's already starting. You've got the Judgment Day and the Bloodline having to figure out how to work together even though they don't get along. There's enough there, I think, that you're going to end up with something really, really cool. And... I feel like more so than last year, where last year it really was. The bloodline is on top of the world and everything revolves around the bloodline. This year, you've got a ring full of people that are all hot. The Judgment Day and the bloodline, hot. Jey Uso, hot. I would argue Sammy and KO are still hot. Cody Rhodes and LA Knight, you can't argue they're not. So I think you've got all the, all the makings for something really, really special. And you could have more people. I mean, I mean, not for November, I guess, because according to my papers in front of me, Will Ospreay's contract is up in February. And Will Ospreay got everybody talking because a graphic came up that said Seth Rollins retains the World Heavyweight Championship and Will Ospreay sent the eyeball emojis. Why did Will Ospreay send eyeball emojis? And then Seth Rollins replied to the tweet and he said, the water's warm. I went, oh my goodness. Will Ospreay versus Seth Rollins. If Will Ospreay's contract is up in February, are we thinking a Will Ospreay WrestleMania debut? It's possible. Stranger things have happened. I mean, what do you think of Will Ospreay in WWE? would look like. I think if there was ever a time, first of all, if there was ever a time that Will Ospreay would succeed in WWE, now would be it, but he would succeed anytime. Because when you think about it, I feel like 
Will Ospreay, you wouldn't really compare him to a Cody Rhodes, but you could definitely compare him to an AJ Styles. And I would imagine that when AJ Styles, Shinsuke Nakamura, and the Good Brothers all came over to the WWE from Japan, I would think Triple H had a lot to do with that. So by the same principle, I would imagine that Triple H would be very high on involving Will Ospreay in the WWE. Um, you know, it's it has been I, I almost since AJ Styles and Nakamura, maybe, that there's been a signing like that to WWE. And I, 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 because people thought it might happen with Jay White. It did not. People were wondering if it would happen with Kenny Omega. It did not. So what happens when a work rate wrestler, and I say that, you know, without being disparaging whatsoever, but a wrestler who is known for having excellent matches specifically, what happens when that wrestler enters into this version of the WWE? Is it worth it to keep the title on Seth Rollins all the way until WrestleMania if it means we're going to get Rollins versus Ospreay? Is it worth it to keep the title on Roman Reigns if it means that Ospreay is going to challenge Roman Reigns at some point? Maybe these are things that we don't know. What's on the horizon? And if there is something cooking, should we let it cook because we can get this within a few months? It may be worth it. The juice may indeed be worth the squeeze, is all I'm saying. And by the same token, we welcome in the return of everybody's favorite segment this week in CM Punk. Yes, this week in CM Punk has returned as the rumor mill is going crazy. Where is CM Punk gonna end up? Some people are like thinking he's gonna end up in TNA, you know? I guess he was at the bound, he was at either Bound for Glory or the TV taping that happened after Bound for Glory. And he was backstage there just hanging. And people were wondering if he'd end up there. Look, it wouldn't be the most shocking thing in the world to me if CM Punk did end up in TNA. I know that CM Punk has friends in TNA. And while there's no way they could offer him the money that WWE could offer him, uh, if he wants to just have some fun, hang out with people that he likes and do stuff that will make a huge impact, no pun intended, on a smaller company, then TNA would be the spot, you know? Who's to say that he's doing everything he's doing for the money? I don't think CM Punk is hurting for cash right now. I don't think he's out there, you know, on 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 LinkedIn trying to find his next job opportunity. I think he's fine financially. All that said... It's tough to turn down big money and there may be something still in him that goes, the WWE that, that I left is a very different WWE than it is today. What does CM Punk today look like in the WWE of today? Now, the real reason that I am doing a This Week in CM Punk segment is not because uh, of the TNA rumors because those have been around for a couple weeks and that's, you know, all, we can wildly speculate on that all we want, but there's nothing concrete to talk about there. Uh, what we can talk about is the fact that I saw multiple times over the weekend people report that there are rumors that while first the rumors were WWE is not interested in CM Punk, which if you're reading that, I would take it with as big a grain of salt 
as you could possibly find. I mean, I would take it with a big enough grain of salt that it would satiate the largest horse. You know, the idea that anybody would have that kind of insight on the internet is ludicrous. But even more ludicrous is the report that came after that, which is even though those reports are out there, the truth, and I go, ooh, I love the truth. I'm always trying to find the truth, is that many backstage think he will be back. And I'm like, oh, wow, many backstage do? And he has a call scheduled with some board members. WWE board members, huh? Here's the only thing. WWE doesn't have a board. There is no WWE board of directors. There's a board of directors for TKO that are the, 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 the principal company that own WWE, but there is no WWE board of directors. There is a TKO board of directors. And if you think that a board of directors for TKO, which is in charge of both WWE and the UFC, convene to discuss talent signings, let me ask you, why would they put somebody in charge of talent if the board of directors for TKO get together on a phone call to discuss whether or not to hire CM Punk? The level of not understanding how this or any corporate business works that it would have to take to believe that CM Punk has a call with board members to potentially discuss a return, I can't even fathom. It is the most insane thing. And the fact that this thing is getting shared around and the fact that people are, are, are giving it the time of day it leads me to believe that we have learned nothing as a community, that we sat there as a community and we all got concerned over who was buying WWE. We all got concerned, even though there was not one reputable article, there were enough people on Twitter that said so-and-so is buying the WWE. And we all went to bed that night sure that that was happening and it wasn't. And instead of going, well, you're not gonna fool me again, we go, okay, that time it wasn't true. But this thing says CM Punk has a call with the board of directors. A call with the board of directors to debut its Survivor Series. The board of directors is convening to talk about a talent debut. Okay. All right. All right. Apparently that's how business works. What do I know? Who would have thought that that is how business works? And that's not to say CM Punk won't be back in WWE, but it is to say that if he is back, it's not because he called members of the board. It's because the people in charge of hiring talent made an offer to him and he accepted the offer. That would be how that would work. I mean, come on, guys. Come on. I, I... Now, this does lead me to my question uh, on the AEW front. And again, we get back to these long-term stories. Like, let's start telling quick-term stories. Let's go back to telling stories that, that give us beats every single week that actually matter. Uh, who's the devil? We've got to reveal. They better reveal this at uh, full gear. That would be the time to do it. No later than full gear, certainly. At full gear, I want to see MJF beat Jay White. I don't think anybody actually believes Jay White is going to beat MJF. I want to see MJF beat Jay White, and then I want the devil to finally reveal himself. Or herself 
there are a couple of things going on. Who is the devil? I have no idea. I can wildly speculate and tell you who I think it would be cool if it was. Um, I think that a lot depends on Adam Cole's injury. If he's once again out for an extended period of time, then there's a good chance that whatever the original plan was for the devil is out the window. That we've got to start from scratch again and go, well, you know, it's not going to be this person because that story doesn't make any sense anymore because Adam Cole is not going to be back on TV. If Adam Cole is going to be back on TV anytime, then that's a horse of a different color. There are three options. One of them is a big reach, but it's an industry changer. The other two are more realistic. If Adam Cole is not out, if he is on his way back, then I think the devil shows up, right? And MJF goes, who are you? And then Adam Cole comes to ringside, right? And stands behind MJF. And MJF goes, okay, good, Adam's here. So we know it's not Adam. And then I know it's you, Roddy. I know it's you, Roddy. And then Taven and Matt ben Mike Bennett come out. And, and it's like, oh, okay, so Roddy's back. And then on the other side, Roddy comes out. And you go, what? And so now you got MJF and Adam Cole in the ring. You got the devil on the front of the ramp. And on one side is Roderick Strong and on the other side is Taven and Bennett. So now we know where the kingdom is. And we go, well, then what the hell? And then the mask comes off and under the devil mask is Britt Baker. And MJF goes, huh? And that's when Adam Cole turns on MJF. And we realized Britt Baker was behind the devil mask and this was all a plan from the beginning. Adam Cole joins uh, 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 Taven and, and Bennett and the kingdom. Britt Baker and Maria are there together. It's a whole thing. And now uh, MJF has to have has to find his friends. And eventually we could. We could get to blood and guts, right? If we've got Adam Cole and the kingdom versus, and maybe somebody else versus... Uh, MJF and the acclaimed or something like that. You know, there's a, there's a million ways you could do it. Now, that's if Adam Cole is coming back. If Adam Cole is not coming back, I think the devil reveals himself as Swerve. I think it's time to go all the way with Swerve. And I think that MJF continues to get beaten up by people in the devil mask but they all slowly reveal themselves to be like Keith Lee ends up being behind a devil mask. And Keith Lee has somehow found his way back to being one of uh, one of Swerve's backup guys. And Swerve, instead of being a part of uh, Nana's faction or instead of being in that weird faction where he had the two guys in it that kind of didn't pan out, Swerve builds a strong faction around him that's like impenetrable. It's like real threats and no more Nana because Nana's too entertaining. People would be too excited for it. So Swerve being revealed as the devil is a big pick of mine. Now, if you want to go with the reach, but the industry shifter, if you want AEW to get hot again and you want to make everybody go WTF, and we know what those letters stand for, then there's only one thing that can happen. The checkbook has to come out. Deals have to be made in utter secrecy. 
because the mask has to come off and it's got to be punk. I mean, can you, it's not going to happen, but can you imagine if the mask comes off and it's CM Punk under the mask and every, and you can actually keep it a secret? You want to prove to me that AEW is not full of leaks and that they'll put business first before any of the other, like, you know, nonsense that goes around there? You put CM Punk under that mask and you've proven everybody wrong. CM Punk's under that mask. Number one, it's not a leaky boat anymore. And number two, who's not watching? CM Punk still has that AEW title with the X over it. We can finally do Punk versus MJF with Punk as a heel and MJF as a babyface. It would make up for so much. You wouldn't even have to do it at the next pay-per-view. Like, that's a story you could actually tell over a period of time. But, I mean, dude, I know it's impossible. They just fired him. Tony Khan literally went on TV and said his life was in danger. But if you could somehow get CM Punk to promise, maybe put it in writing, I won't endanger your life. Also, here's a ton of money for you that they would give CM Punk in payment for wrestling services and not threatening his life. It would just be so crazy. And this is, you know, one of the joys of being a wrestling fan is that we can bring up stuff that is this absolutely bonkers and speculate wildly. There's a million reasons why what I just said could never happen. But that, my friends, is the joy of wild speculation. Now, I'm not going to keep all the wild speculation to myself. Here on Not Sam Wrestling, I love hearing from you. Let's get to the emails. You want to email us, notsamwrestling at gmail.com. That's notsamwrestling at gmail.com. If you email questions to notsamwrestling at gmail.com, we may get to them here on the show. Uh, Let's see. Let's go from the top, okay? Some of these are just coming in as I'm uh, uh, recording. Uh, This is from PD, my man PD. Sam, so you're preaching the word of action figures. I love action figures. You're running out of action figure display space. Yes. You're hosting Mattel events. Yes. When is the Not Sam Elite action figure coming out? Comes with a mic and removable hair. I'm amazed there's not been at least a custom one yet. Well, people have made Not Sam figures for me, and I've got them displayed beautifully uh, on my shelf. Um you know, I I uh, would love to have a Mattel figure made. I don't have a WWE merchandise deal. Um, but I think it would be one of the top sellers of all time. Uh, also, I mean, my phone line's open, baby. Hit me up, zombie. Hit me up, major WF pod. Let's get a bendy. Let's get a retro. Let's get a heels and faces. Uh, Raj from Queens. Sam, I thought those Street Profits turning heel and joining forces with Bobby would be gold, but it's been disappointing. Montez is trying way too hard to look badass with that corny lip curl. Now it looks like B-Fab is going to join the group. I personally would like Bianca to join the group. What are your thoughts? I don't think they're turning Bianca heel because of the reality show. Um, I also think if Bianca were to turn heel, I wouldn't put her in that group because, I mean, frankly, if Bianca turns heel, she's one of the biggest heels in the industry. Bianca is is a top tier talent. I mean, this is a WrestleMania main event person. So if she were to turn heel, 
I don't think she could even play second to Bobby Lashley, let alone Montez or Dawkins. Um, so I wouldn't put her in that group for that reason. Uh, and I don't, I, I'm ready for her to turn heel. I'm just not sure that it'll happen. I think it's been disappointing because they haven't been defined very well. In the beginning, they weren't f heels, and now they're slowly, like, there's a lot of heel turning these days that is very, very slow turn, right? Drew McIntyre is slowly turning heel, and I feel like the loss at Crown Jewel is gonna make that heel turn, like, like it's the next step in that heel turn. But I would at some point like there to be, okay, old school heel turn. Like one of the things I, uh, sometimes going back to the old school is good. I love that Logan Paul was just a douchebag with some brass knuckles. I mean, that's like when you're a kid, watching the heel win with brass knuckles is one of the most dastardly things you could ever see. I love it. Ultra Boy, uh, hey buddy, I guess my question for this week is just what's the haps? How are your wife? I mean, what are you doing, Ultra Boy? What do you, I mean, take your, I hope somebody takes your email away. Uh, Kanjay, uh, what are your thoughts on Survivor Series 2019? I love that show. That's the one that NXT is on, right? It's amazing. It was amazing. I remember being there live. It was awesome. Do you think Adam Cole is eventually going back to WWE? I say yes because Triple H is in charge, and I mostly say yes because I'm 96% sure Britt Baker will go to WWE, but let's be honest, Tony Khan doesn't book the women's division that well. WWE will treat her well, and Cole will want to be with his wife. What are your thoughts? Um, I could see it. I could see both of them staying in AEW. They've both got really good spots in AEW. Britt Baker is one of the top women. Adam Cole is one of the top men. So them sticking around you know, working on a show that they feel very comfortable at in really good spots, making good money. You know, I don't think we should just assume that everybody wants to leave AEW. Um, but I think that Adam Cole's chances in WWE now would obviously be better than they were before. I think it's pretty well documented. Triple H is a fan. Uh, Nicholas, uh, hey boss, I realize next year is my 30 year anniversary of being a wrestling fan. Congratulations. In 1994, Undertaker and Razor Ramon were the superstars who turned me into a fan for life. Uh, I was wondering about yourself. Is there a wrestler in particular who made you a fan? Well, uh, I don't remember a time that I wasn't a wrestling fan, but the first wrestler that I was obsessed with was Macho Man Randy Savage. And I guess it was technically when he was Macho King, but it was towards the end of the Macho King run that I really became a fan. Uh, like So like, yeah, I mean, leading to WrestleMania seven is when I really, really, really locked in and became a fan. And then by the time SummerSlam 91 came was when I was never miss a show diehard. So everything SummerSlam 91 on, uh, you know, you, you can't touch me. I've seen everything. Uh, and then leading up to SummerSlam 91, uh, you know, from the beginning of 1991, uh, it basically, my early memories are like 91 Royal Rumble, right? And I, I, I'm, I'm conscious and I'm watching and I'm seeing the Warrior lose the title. I'm seeing Macho Man interfere. But yeah, so Macho Man was that was that guy for me. Um, uh, oh, Ahmed. Uh, hi, Sam. This is great. I just attended my first ever WWE event at Crown Jewel. We have somebody who was there in Riyadh at Crown Jewel. This is more of a report then requesting your comments. I love this. This is very valuable, Ahmed. Thank you for writing in. Um, Sami Zayn got the loudest pop and he was on the pre-show. I love that Sami Zayn is, is going to these shows now and, and speaking to the crowd. It's, it's really cool. LA Knight was so over, even though everyone knew he wouldn't win, but his support was amazing. People were chanting his name before the event even began. 
that tells you so much, right? That's the sort of global entity that is the WWE. That's what draws us all together. That's why I love hearing from people like you, Ahmed. That's why I love PDs in the UK. Like the email box is like so insanely international. I f- And I don't know if all wrestling podcasts are like this, but we have such an incredibly global audience for Not Sam Wrestling. It, I love it. I love the fact that you're writing in from Riyadh. And I love the fact that the reason for it is that the same way we're chanting LA night, LA night outside the Barclays Center, you guys are doing it in Riyadh. I think that's so cool. You can put the title, this is uh, back to Ahmed, you can put the title on Cody Rhodes tomorrow and nobody will question it. Yeah, Cody Rhodes, is, he hasn't lost a thing since WrestleMania. If anything, he's gained. EO versus Bianca suffered uh, the timing issue. They came on when everyone was very tired and wanted to take a break since next up was Cody Priest and Knight Reigns. And before that, I believe, was Logan Paul Ray. It was unfortunate, but since uh, water bottles were not allowed inside the arena and Riyadh is very dry, you needed to keep yourself hydrated. Oh, see? That's very interesting. Oh, wow. So people were especially exhausted. Huh. Drew had amazing support. This could have been his WrestleMania moment. So could Clash at the Castle. So could have WrestleMania 37, right? Yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah. Drew needs to win that title, dude. There were CM Punk chants, but the boos for CM Punk were louder than the chants. That's interesting. It would be interesting to see if he actually joined WWE. It would be interesting to see what his reaction would be. I think putting him with Cody would be smart because nobody's booing Cody. And if they booed Punk, that's fine because he'd be the villain there. Uh, He writes, I finally understand why slowing down is important. I love that perspective you get by seeing it live. That's awesome. The crowd was playing with Reigns and Reigns did not disappoint and was engaging with the crowd continuously. Seeing Roman Reigns is awesome. It's a spectacle. And John Cena is the GOAT. Well, Ahmed, congrats on the show. Awesome that you got to see that show live. It's rare that we get to see uh, uh, hear from somebody that's actually in the crowd for one of those uh, uh, Saudi shows. So that's awesome, man. Hope you had a great time. Uh this is coming from Jay. I couldn't help but notice the lack of crowd response during the Women's Fatal Five-Way, which generated a question in my mind for your expert opinion. What do you think is worse for performers in the ring? A crowd that expresses little to no reaction or a crowd that attempts to take the show over? Um, I think little to no reaction. I think if you're a real pro and the crowd is trying to take the show over, you can use that energy. Like when Cesaro jumped in the crowd and popped the beach ball, it like, that energy doesn't, just disintegrate it stays and now boom we've got it so i think probably that if you if you can but they're both they both suck uh steven long time listener first time emailer my man i know you're a huge fan of uh, mount rushmore's but here's a fun one coming off the heels of weekend afternoon premium live event what's your mount rushmore premium live event pay-per-view snacks and or meals this covers morning, afternoon, and evening events. Okay. All right. I think I can put this together. Uh, buffalo wings for afternoon or evening always works. Mexican Coke for morning, afternoon, or evening. Um, Fruity Pebbles for morning, afternoon, or evening. Uh, and then, uh, what's the last? Let's see. Buffalo wings, Mexican Coke, Fruity Pebbles, uh, 
and uh, uh, Advil for when I get my heart attack. That thins the Tylenol, something, whatever thins the blood, aspirin. <laughs> uh, Enzo writes in, Byron Saxton killed it at Crown Jewel. Gave me that old school ring announcer vibe throughout the entire show. Samantha acknowledged him too, by the way. Yeah, man, Byron was awesome. Any appreciation for Byron on this show is gonna be uh, is gonna be accepted. Uh, Carlos Silos writes in, I've been listening to your podcast for six months now. Super fan. I'll try to make this short. Appreciate you, dude. Do you recall back in the 90s when a wrestler would get disqualified, the ref would call for the bell, followed by the ring announcer announcing the winner's name through disqualification. Theme music would play done. Why is it that in today's era they feel they need to announce that a title does not change hands uh, through a disqualification, but also play the losing wrestler's music right after? I think it takes away from the win. Okay, so... I don't think the announcement has changed. I remember as a kid, they'd go, uh, uh, but uh, because a title can only change hands on a pinfall or a submission, therefore still the champion. And I think that like, I think it depends on the story that you're telling. I think that the music is played in those situations for the person who is the moral victor. If it's a heel, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's all it is. You know, I don't think it, I don't think it takes away from the win because a win by count out or disqualification, like worse than having the opposite wrestler's music playing is to celebrate a disqualification win, right? Like at SummerSlam 93, Lex Luger having his music played and having the Steiners hoist him up on the shoulders and having balloons and confetti come down even though he won by disqualification, so he didn't take the title from Yokozuna, is one of the most bizarre post-match celebrations I've ever seen in my life. So I would say that's worse. Uh, Benji uh, writes in with two questions. When WWE comes to Australia next year with all the events happening around Perth, what night will not Sam be doing his live show? Homie, get me a gig. You understand how quick I will be on a Qantas flight. I want to be at these international shows. There's an international audience to this podcast. If one of you can sponsor me a trip, and it's not going to be that expensive, if you can find somebody that'll put me on a Qantas flight, I mean, I'd like, you know, business class personally, put me on a Qantas flight, get me a hotel, and get me a venue, better yet, sponsor the gig so I don't have to worry about selling tickets, I'll be there with bells on. I would love to do a live Not Sam show in Perth, in Germany, in any, I, I, I go to Riyadh. Are you kidding me? I would love to do a live Not Sam show in Saudi Arabia. I gotta get that cash though. What do you think? I'm just going out of pocket on these things? And number two, why isn't Johnny Gargano getting any reactions from the Raw crowd? It's time to change up the aesthetics it's almost as if he could have had a black and gold NXT style banger and still no one cares. I miss the Johnny of old. I, I think that the the Johnny just has to kind of reintroduce himself to the audience. I think that 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 Johnny as a character has to give the reason the audience a reason to cheer for the character and then have the bangers make more sense, right? Like the fact that Tommaso and Johnny had one of the best rivalries in the history of NXT is not just because the matches were good, but the story, like you got behind the story. I think all Johnny needs is a little sprinkling of story dust and he'll have the world at his fingertips. Uh, Avic, Avic 
uh, writes, uh, hi, Sam, you got my question on the air again. You son of a bitch. What's your take on Gunther winning the Rumble as Intercontinental Champion? Then he goes on to win the world title at Mania and is a double champ, leading to him forfeit the IC title the next night, similar to Goldberg in WCW 98. Uh, I wouldn't compare him to Goldberg in WCW 98. I'd compare him to the Ultimate Warrior, who won the, Inter the Royal Rumble. Oh, no, I guess Hogan won the Royal Rumble that year. But whatever, he went to WrestleMania as Intercontinental Champion, beat Hogan, and sacrificed the Intercontinental title the next night. Um... I'd rather give someone the win. I'd rather give someone the win over Gunther a couple of months prior to WrestleMania. You'd have to be soon. If you're going to have Gunther win the Royal Rumble, I'd rather give someone the win on the way to the Royal Rumble and then rebuild him from the Rumble to WrestleMania. I just, going back to the stuff I talked about at the beginning of the show with Roman Reigns, I don't believe in the idea of just having some guy beat everyone and then he's over. Like long-term, it doesn't do a lot of good. Uh, Mick from Ireland, that's what I'm talking about. Mick from Ireland writes in, I've been an avid listener to the podcast for the last couple of months. You and Jim Cornette are the wrestling podcast goats. Hell yeah, we are. Yes, we are. This is the cult of Sam Roberts. I'm a similar vintage to you. Born in 1983, grew up a huge wrestling fan in Ireland. My man. To me, the Attitude Era was the golden age of wrestling. My question, Attitude Era, who was your favorite tag team? Uh, well, if you're counting factions as separate than tag teams, right? Because like DX was a faction, The Nation was a faction, Heart Foundation was a faction. So my favorite Attitude Era tag team, I mean, the Headbangers probably. You know, the Brothers of Destruction is probably an easy one, but I love the Headbangers. Um... I ask because recently you talked about the Headbangers. Yeah, 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 And their appearance in the NWA. I love those guys. Definitely my favorite tag team from the era. All right, we're on the same team then. You think the Headbangers could have an extended run in Billy Corgan's NWA? I hope so. Rock on. I think they could. I absolutely think they could. They're in great shape. I mean, they're cool. Like, yeah, I, I think definitely. Alex says, first time, long time. My man. I was trying to figure out when it was that I started listening to the podcast. And I'm pretty sure you interviewed Pete Dunn. Back in May of 2017, that was the first episode I listened to. Wow, and I've been a supporter ever since. I remember that interview. That was right after he won the UK Cup, I think. Or no, Tyler Bate won the UK Cup. But but I remember watching that first UK tournament and like becoming such a fan of Pete Dunne from that. Uh, that yeah, I think that was it. We did it over like Skype or something. It was it was wild. I just wanted to pop in and say thank you for all the content. I truly look forward to Monday morning podcast, Thursday, not Sam Thursday on a Friday and everything in between. I don't have as much time as I'd like to these days to watch the product. So staying up to date is made much easier with good old Sammy on your side. My man just got my not Sam shirt in the mail. Hell yeah. And man, the, that thing is nice quality garment right there. Margins are very thin, razor thin margins, but the quality is extremely high. I guess I'll throw in a question while I'm here. He writes, as a kid, what wrestling t-shirt or piece of merch were you never able to get your hands on uh, and did you end up buying it as an adult? Yes, it was the SummerSlam 92 t-shirt. I went to SummerSlam 92 in Wembley Stadium. I was always bummed that I didn't get the shirt. However, over the pandemic, I was able to get it uh, from Ted, uh, Wrestling for Sale Ted. I was able to get the Bret Hart Bulldog t-shirt from him and I found out later... It actually came from the private collection of the hitman Bret Hart. It was like one of the merch shirts that he kind of just had somewhere sitting in a closet. His son Blade sold it to Ted, wrestling for sale, and Ted sold it to me. So, hell yeah.
Hell yeah, dude. Uh, Hayden writes in, could you pick a few men and women from NXT to be in the Rumble next year? Uh, no, not in the mind state that I'm in right now. Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, this is from uh, Trey. Speculate wildly. Who's behind the devil mask? Not in a million years is it punk. And if it's J Jack Perry, and if it and if it's Jack Perry, we riot. Yeah, I mean, I'm hoping it's punk, but Swerve. I answered that earlier. Swerve would be my pick. Um, let's see. Wahaj. I'm sorry if I mispronounced that. Love the podcast. Been following ever since WrestleMania 39. Brightens my Mondays as I'm on my way to the hospital to, to treat sick patients. Oh, that that sounds great. Thank you, man. I wanted to hear, not that you treat sick patients. I mean, it's good, great that you treat them. I'm sorry that they're sick. I'm glad I can bring you some enjoyment. I wanted to hear your thoughts on Champa's heel run in NXT. I love it. His rival with Gargano as champion rekindled my love for wrestling, and I hope we can see a dominant heel Champa, uh, Champa as champion in WWE. Yeah, I mean, I love it. I, I mean, Gargano Champa is one of my favorite rivalries ever, and heel Champa, no one will survive. Goldie, camo fatigues is, I mean, I love that dude. That's one of my favorite characters ever. I got to get Champ on the podcast. Last one is coming from uh, Geech. What up, Geech? My question is, oh, this is a great question. Why didn't LaParka come to WWE after WCW? I thought his chairman gimmick was over, not to mention... Uh, when they would play some funny stuff over the PA and LaParka would be acting like he had no idea what was being said. For me, that's good entertainment. Thanks, Gage. What up, Gage? Um, yeah, I mean, look. WWE is at a weird point. I don't think they did the greatest stuff in the world with luchadors in that era, in that immediate post-WCW era, um, until Ray got there. Uh... Yeah, I don't I don't know if they fully got LaParka. I love LaParka, the chairman. Just playing guitar on that chair. LaParka rules. Would have been interesting in a different uh in a, in a different multiverse to see LaParka in <laughs> post WCW era WWE. Imagine if in the in the in the in the invasion angle Shane McMahon was like, "I got one more surprise for you, dad." Here's LaParka. is the chairman. Awesome. I love LaParka. We don't get enough LaParka love. What a great email to end things on. Hey, thank you guys for hanging out today. Don't forget, by the way, uh, if you don't know, now you know. On Wednesday, another episode of Not Sam Wrestling will drop. Megan Morant, an interview with her. And, and this is one that you don't want to miss. Megan has an incredible story, not just about becoming a WWE fan, but also stuff she's been doing with her life. As of late, um, she'll be in the Not Sam studio, uh, and that interview will come out on Wednesday. So make sure you're subscribed to the Not Sam Wrestling YouTube channel, as well as uh, the audio feed. If you're listening on Apple, leave a review and a rating. If you're listening on Spotify, leave a review. Make sure you tell all your friends this is the podcast that you listen to. I've been seeing, by the way, I've been seeing a lot of people putting out their... Uh, top 10 wrestling media people. I'm going to tell you right now. If you put out a list of top 10 people in wrestling media and it doesn't have me on it, you're a lunatic. 
I would imagine most of the people on your list are children of me. They would probably never admit it because for whatever reason, people don't like it. But they're probably people that grew up and their first exposure to internet wrestling media was the last professional broadcaster. And people think, people think they can sleep on the fact that they're my children. And it's not right, you know? You should be honored by your children as a parent, okay? Nobody's done the things that I've done. The idea of anybody, anybody, and I'm keeping tabs on everybody because I watch everything. People don't even think it. I watch everything. I'm keeping tabs on everybody. Anybody, anybody that puts out a top 10 people in wrestling media list. First of all, it's kind of corny to put out that, to be in wrestling media and reporting on the people who report on what you report on is like the biggest waste of time ever. But, but anybody that is putting out a list of top 10 wrestling media people, and I'm not even on the list. I mean, I'm top two. If I'm not on the list at all, if I didn't make the top 10, I want you to know that I know I've seen your list and I'm judging you severely. And it makes me think that you might not have a clue what you're talking about or, or, and this is your choice. Either you're ignorant and don't know what you're talking about or you don't want to honor your father. And either way, I feel like those are two things that should be corrected, but that's for you to figure out. Thank you all. <laughs> I leave you on that weird, weird note. And I'll see you uh, on Wednesday for another episode of Not Sam Wrestling.